set. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I love you. I love you. I love you. Break it down like this. Welcome to Parenting with Patricia. Twice monthly conversations, insight, and advice on raising happy, resilient children. Your host, Patricia Pearson, LCSW. If you have a problem, question, or comment that you would like Patricia to address on the show, email parentingwithpatricia at gmail.com. Welcome to Parenting with Patricia. This is episode number two, and I am your host, Patricia Pearson. This is a podcast for parents. In each episode, we'll be discussing parenting your child, and I can't think of anything more important. In today's show, we're going to talk about parenting the anxious child. I'll be talking with the author of Casey's Greatness Wings, Tammy Van Hollander, licensed clinical social worker and registered play therapist. I love her children's book. It's very cool. It's an interactive story that can be told on the child's back. That's right, on the child's back. Remember when you were a child and you would take your finger and draw an object or a shape on another child's back and they would try to guess what you were writing? Well, that's what this book is like. And it's a great story for kids that have big worries. Later in the show, I'll be hearing from parents and answering emails and questions about their children. Remember to email me your questions at parentingwithpatricia at gmail.com. I'd be happy to help you with your parenting concerns. But before all of that, I'm very excited to have my lifelong friend, Leslie, on the show with me today. Leslie and I have been the best of friends for many, many, many years. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I have her on the show because I want um, I want you to meet her. I like talking to her and... Um, she has a lot of insight on a lot of things, and we've had a lot of these discussions at restaurants through the years, during chips and salsa, and I just thought these conversations would be good for you to hear, too, as parents. Um, we're talking about, Leslie, today, parenting the anxious child, and I know over the years you and I have talked about anxiety, and you've talked about some of your feelings about being an anxious child um, back in the day when that wasn't such a thing. We didn't even know children could have anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, back when, you know, back when I was a child, I don't think there was even ADHD. I, I don't remember that term. Um, so certainly anxiety was not a term that was tossed around a lot. But, you know, if I look back on my childhood, I just remember utter and total fear I remember feeling so alone, so scared, so anxious, and this would be every day, and then what would happen is I'd be the perfect little student in school, no one would know what was going on with me, but once I hit the front door to the house, I would open the door, and I would just start crying. It was almost like... I had bottled it up. I was a water balloon. As soon as I hit the front door, the water balloon exploded, and I just started crying and crying. And, you know, I don't know that my mom knew what to make out of it because was it one particular thing? I mean, this was an everyday occurrence, so it wasn't that little Bobby pulled my hair in front of me. No, it was every day. 
anxiety and every day coming home and crying. And I think probably some temper tantrums, at least my mom says I had that component as well. But I, I don't know. I mean, are those typically the symptoms of anxiety in children? Well, I think you hit on many of them, the crying and the tantrums and the fear, the feeling of fear. And I think it's amazing when when I'm hearing you talk about how you felt so many years ago and still being able to remember it and being so confused about what it was. And so we know today that these children still have these fears and these things going on. And it's something that they're going to remember for so long if if we can't fix it or find a way to make a child aware of it. Um, yeah. How about, how about um, you talked about fear a little bit. Would, would you ever talk, um, think that it was shy, feelings of being shy? Well, I mean, that's interesting that you say that because I was also painfully shy as a child. I mean, really, I would just try to always sit in the back row Dread the thought of the teacher calling on me. You know, I try, if I could have made myself invisible, I would have. So there was definitely, in my case, shyness with anxiety. And I don't know if that is a typical thing that those two go together or is it not? Well, I think I think they do. And a lot of times the shyness, we call it shyness when it really is just fear. Like you said, avoiding being called on, avoiding um, any kind of situation that would make us feel uncomfortable and constantly worrying about that. Um, and avoiding social situations. Do you remember avoiding doing things, parties, school, um, other activities? Uh, well, you know, like when I was very, very young and let's say a little girl said, I want you to come over for a sleepover. I just thought, oh my gosh, no. I mean, you know, I may have liked the little girl, but the thought of a totally new environment was really, really challenging for me. That was very fearful. So I I did not do any of those things. No sleepovers that I can recall. Um, you know, or going with a friend on vacation. Um, yeah, so that was definitely part of it. You know, it's kind of sad because did I live to my full potential back then? I mean, all I can remember is fear, anxiety, and really staying sequestered in the house except for going to school. Right. So many missed opportunities. And, and like you said, not living to your to your full potential because you're avoiding these situations. You know, anxiety doesn't hurt children. It's how they manage it so that they can still yeah. do things when we're avoiding things. That's what hurts us. So are so many things in childhood are missed out because we didn't try the things. Um, yeah. What about physical symptoms? Because a lot of kids with anxiety will, will talk about stomach aches and headaches. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I used to get, uh, like, knots in my stomach. I would just, like, I guess they call it butterflies in your stomach. I would just feel knots in my stomach, um, you know, or just be feeling really shaky. Sometimes I would feel lightheaded, you know. Um, so there really definitely were the physical components. I don't know if that is 
like the whole list. Are there any that, that maybe I didn't have? Right. I think those are the two main ones, frequent stomach aches, frequent headaches that we see in children with anxiety. And again, as you're talking about these things, as a child, you must have been very confused. Like, what what do I have? What's wrong with me? Am I Am I just a strange child? Am I, I mean, what did you think? Because you didn't know what it was. You know, I think that I thought I'm different because I'd look around, all the other kids are happy and they're laughing. And I noticed that the other kids see me as different in that they saw me as vulnerable. And it's interesting, the old, the, some of the other girls that were maybe more advanced, um, they would kind of come over to me and sort of mother me, take me under their wing, became my protector. So I think I was perceived as the vulnerable child. And certain teachers would see me as, oh, our poor little Leslie, you know? Mm. And do, do you really want to be singled out for being vulnerable? Um, you know, I think that that's probably to some degree stayed with me to this point. Um, you know, because if you don't learn how to undo that or, or have a different way of acting, then it's going to stay with you and you're you know, may end up repeating those patterns as an adult. Maybe not to that degree. Right. Uh, but I don't I don't see myself jumping out to, you know, do a lot of social things. Um, to this day, I kind of retreat. And I wonder, you know, if I had known what this was, if maybe it would be different today. Right, because I really think untreated anxiety can be a very dangerous thing. And like we said, back in those days, we didn't know kids had anxiety, so it was untreated. And today, if kids can be aware of it, and parents can be aware of what anxiety is, then we can treat it and it won't lead to depression and these missed opportunities and low self-esteem. Now, one of the things you said was in school, how, how the people looked at you and treated you. Um, yeah. as someone sort of different. I think when you look at a child who's anxious, you see two different kinds of children. One is the very quiet, well-behaved child um, that kind of goes unnoticed. The teachers just think she's shy, she's quiet, but she's very well-behaved. And yeah. a, lot of times the pa- a lot of times the parents don't even notice it. The other child that you see that has anxiety is the one that acts out, the ones that's disruptive. And um, sometimes they're mislabeled with attention deficit disorder, and sometimes they're just seen as the bad kid in class. And and back when we were kids, those were the kids that you saw with anx- with anxiety, and it was just untreated, and no one understood it or or knew what to do. But yeah. nowadays, nowadays we know that children have anxiety. Up to upwards of twenty percent of children, and I believe even more than that, probably. Um, are anxious and have anxiety. So if we can recognize these signs and these symptoms, if parents can recognize these things and teachers, then it can be treated. And that's really what we want to do. And so I, I appreciate you coming on here today, Leslie, to kind of give an insight of what what a child goes through and how it happened so many years ago. And we are old, aren't we, Leslie? <laughs> <laughs> and so... Uh, okay. 
And so even though it happened those many years ago, it was untreated and it stayed with you and you carried yeah. it for all those years. And, and we don't want that for our kids. We want to understand it. So um, I thank you for being with us and I hope that you can come on our show again sometime, Leslie. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's hear from you. Now is the time in the show where I answer an email from a parent addressing their parenting concerns. Remember, if you have a question, you can email me at parentingwithpatricia at gmail.com. Today's email comes from a mom with two sons. She writes, Dear Patricia, I have two sons and they are both wonderful. Yet my older son has always seemed to be in the spotlight. He's a straight-A student in all honors classes, and he's a star athlete at his high school. My second son just entered high school this year, and I'm really concerned that he will be in his brother's shadow. I never want him to feel like he is second. He is quiet and seems to be on his own a lot. I'm really worried that his self-esteem is low. How can I let him know that he is just as special as his brother? Mom, thank you for this email, and thanks for your concern about both of your boys. And I think what really stands out in your letter is how you're paying so close attention to how they're feeling. Now, you say in your letter that your oldest son is in the spotlight, and yet I'm wondering, what exactly is the spotlight, and why is the spotlight even important? You know, not all children want to be in a spotlight, but let me tell you what all children do want. They want to feel loved. And they want to feel like they're good enough, and especially in their parents' eyes. All of our kids are successful and special and wonderful in their own way. All of them. I truly believe that. Now, you described your oldest son as intelligent and athletic, and I think that's fabulous. And society seems to really value those things and shines a spotlight on them. But there are other ways that children can feel good enough. I didn't hear you say much about your younger son. You said he's quiet. You said he likes to be on his own. Does this mean he's a dreamer? Does this mean he's able to do things independently? Is he an inventor? Here's what you need to do, Mom. Spend some time looking at your son's successes. And they may not be your average successes. And sometimes they're even hard to find. But they're there and they're equally as special. And when you genuinely and sincerely notice what makes him special... I assure you he's going to feel it. But it has to be genuine. It has to be sincere. You can't just list good qualities. You need to really see what your son has to offer and really treasure it. He may already know his good qualities, or he might need time to discover them. Is that If this is the case, the best thing you can do is to introduce him to new things until he finds his passion. The key is to give your son an understanding that things like popularity come from being happy and being passionate. School and sports may be the passions of your older son, and your younger son may need time to find what makes his heart sing. Today I'm sitting down with Tammy Van Hollander, licensed clinical social worker and registered play therapist. Tammy is the owner of Mainline Play Therapy in Pennsylvania. She is a nationally recognized play therapist, speaker, and presenter. Tammy is a certified trainer in the Nurtured Heart Approach, a certified play storytelling infant massage practitioner, and trained in TheraPlay and EMDR. 
Tammy has worked with many children with anxiety and has helped parents understand and help their children. She is the author of Casey's Greatness Wings, and this is a fabulous book for children who have big worries. Welcome to the show, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Patty. I am really excited about your book. Let me tell you, I ordered it and I just couldn't wait for it to come in the mail. I got so excited when I was opening it because I had heard this whole thing about how it was interactive and on the child's back and I, I really couldn't even imagine it, but I um, I work with a lot of children and families around anxiety and it's just been a great tool in my playroom working with the children that I work with and the parents. So first I want to say congratulations on this book. Oh, thank you. Yes, this book has really, um, it's been a dream for me to always write a children's book. And this book just turned into so much more and so many different components that are so near and dear to my heart that um, I've been really excited over it. You are right. It's so much more than just a children's book. When I when I got it, I was surprised because there's all the activities and things that you can do at the end and, and notes to parents. And um, just, just a wonderful book. Now, the title is Casey's Greatness Wings. Can you tell us a little bit about the story? Sure. Uh, so the story really starts out with a caterpillar and the caterpillar Casey and I'll tell a little bit more as we talk about how the story works but Casey is actually gender neutral because I think it's really important when we're reading a book to a child for them to identify with uh, with Casey the best way they can so they can decide if Casey is a boy or a girl um, and so it's a story of a caterpillar that's really just feeling different from everyone else and has worries and the worries basically the metaphor of the worries are an elephant and this big heavy elephant that's really weighing Casey down and Casey is stuck underneath this big elephant uh, and then what happens through the story is this grandmother butterfly appears and I could tell you a little bit later the meaning of the grandmother butterfly to me um, and she cocoons her arms around Casey and that's really the metaphor of the cocoon uh, that as the transformation and in the cocoon and in the loving arms of grandmother butterfly is where we begin to teach mindfulness to children and a way to be able to quiet their bodies to quiet their mind and the grandmother butterfly gives Casey specific recognitions of recognizing his greatness and also teaches different tech, teaches basically different tools in terms of breathing and breathing I am relaxed and I am calm and being able to do visualizations of being able to watch that heavy elephant get lighter and lighter so we also do a part of a body scan that is all done all within the cocoon of uh, the, the hug and the first part of the book is called the comforting hug then it moves to the second part of the book and part two is basically all about Casey's greatness so once Casey becomes and transforms a butterfly we are basically 
Casey's able to recognize the greatness and on the greatness wings, Grandmother Butterfly paints all of his greatness onto the wings and is able to share the greatness with others. And this really all came about my training as a nurtured heart approach trainer of really how do we ignite children's greatness by not just saying, I love you or I'm proud of you or you're strong, but really giving these recognitions of you are strong you know it shows me that you are strong when you are able to get onto the school bus and sit there without crying and fussing and all these moments that we children really need to be seen and they need to be heard and when we give these recognitions we are really breaking down very specifically what we were see what we are seeing in the child and how we can recognize them. So this whole story then goes along with the kinesthetic storytelling that you know we can also talk about. Right, it really is a beautiful story. Such great images. I love the whole idea of this heavy elephant and and the you know the weighing down and the the butterfly and the lightness of that and the the pictures in here are beautiful, great images. Um, it really, one of the, the greatest things, though, about it is the uniqueness of this story is how the child can not only hear it, but they feel the story. And I mean, that's just so unique. How did you even come up with that idea? Did you have like an inspiration or? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So originally, how the original story years ago came back, came out was that I was working with a teenager who had significant trauma and PTSD, and we were doing coloring mandalas as a mindfulness exercise, and she was really stuck. And um, we had colored these butterflies, mandalas together, um, and a story came about, and it started our work and our breakthrough with her trauma. And for me, it also had a personal meaning because my mother had just passed away, and it was a metaphor for her that she said we would always be connected by rainbows and butterflies. So originally I had this idea as, as I was writing the story and then she began to edit the story and it transformed into her own in a whole nother way of a mind jar. I don't know if you know what mind jars are. And for the audience, uh, a mind jar is basically a, a tool that we use to teach kids mindfulness. And you you basically put the sprinkles in a jar of water sparkles that represent all the anxiety and when we shake it it's like the mind going and going but then we watch all the sparkles settle so i had this idea that what a perfect metaphor and to do it with a mind uh with a mind jar to have the metaphor of the butterfly transformation and a mind jar so i did that and then last year i took a um a five-day training in Janet Courtney's first play, Kinesthetic Infant Massage Storytelling. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, but basically, through that, besides for doing the story on infants, I got trained in kinesthetic storytelling, and I fell in love with it. And the, it's really the importance of, we know that children are kinesthetic storytellers, or learners, and to be able to do attachment-based activities with kids is so important. So... Dana Courtney wrote a book called The Magic Rainbow Hug, which is a kinesthetic story. And um, 
I fell in love with it and I brought the, the next story back to life and realized I don't want to do it on trauma. I want to do it from my love of the nurtured heart approach as well as mindfulness and the kinesthetic story and how important it is that how attachment, right? We know attachment is everything and the relationship for the parent and child is so important as well as the relationship for the therapist and the child. So when we are able to do an interactive activity through touch, it becomes so much more powerful and effective and it's really changing the brain. You know, one of the big things that Janet talked about in our kinesthetic storytelling is how important it is for us to talk about touch. And in this culture, touch is taboo. Uh, and if we don't talk about it, kids don't know what appropriate touch is and what inappropriate touch is. So in all these different cultures, there's this therapeutic story massage uh, that they're doing, but they're not doing it in our culture because they're afraid of it. And what we know is when there is good touch, the oxytocin, which is that happy and joy hormone, is increased in our body. And cortisol, which is a stress hormone, is simultaneously decreased when we give that loving, nurturing touch. So starting from infancy, going straight up. But when there's that touch that doesn't feel good, it's that cortisol, that stress that goes up. So we're teaching the appropriateness of touch and how that can feel safe and how that can really calm the child's whole nervous system, as well as when the parent is doing it, they're both simultaneously, their, their cortisol is going down and their oxytocin is going up. So a, lot, a big part of the book is also about asking permission if the child doesn't want to be touched and uh, that we always ask permission for the child to be touched. And they can either do the story in the sandbox or on a stuffed animal while it's being done on their back. Wow, there really sounds like there was a lot to this that you thought about. You didn't just come up with this on a whim. You really did put a lot of thought in this. And, you know, when you think of a child having the story read to them, a lot of times I think you can read the same book over and over. You can read a book that maybe isn't even their favorite book. The part that children really like is the part where they're snuggled up to mom and dad and being touched and, and cuddled. So that's so much of the story. And to combine those two together in this book was, was just a really creative and fabulous idea. And I feel so excited to be able to talk to you, the author, because so many times I love children's books and I always look at them and think, you know, I wonder how they came up with this idea and I wonder what they were thinking. And so to be able to talk to you is really exciting to me and, and really hear the background work. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. Um, the other thing is we're doing this podcast today on anxiety and there are so many children today um, with anxiety and anxious little kids and anxious adults. It seems to be something that's very um, common in today's world and parents are, are worried about what should we do and what does it look like and I always tell parents that anxiety looks different in a child than it does in an adult. So mm -hmm. can you tell us about what parents can expect to see if their child is anxious? Yeah, I mean, I think it really comes out in different ways. And I think one of the first things is really looking at 
trying to understand where the anxiety could be coming from. So the anxiety could be coming from different transitions or the anxiety could be coming from a child who just has a lot of sensory sensitivity. So everything is louder and everything is brighter. So their world just feels more fragile. You know, anxiety could be coming from an anxious uh, parent. Uh, and we know that also wiring of anxiety. If a parent has anxiety, the child may have anxiety. So it's a nature nurture. Uh, so I think that's an important part to be looking at when we're looking at just the different layers and where the anxiety is coming. But anxiety could come out in many different ways. I mean, one way that parents are often surprised that a child has anxiety if it's a child who's always wanting to control everything or a child who's really oppositional or even maybe you know uh, they may say that they're a bully you know in the school that that could be a child who has anxiety because they have such a need to control their world and that they are so rigid because they're so afraid that if they give up that power, what's going to happen? Everything's going to fall apart. So something like a child who's in control or bullying another child, it's the last thing that you would think of that this child has anxiety. But I love David Crenshaw, who's my favorite person, who uses the term uh, fawns in gorilla suits, that we have these these kids who are like a deer in headlights that may become so reactive and that they're really just so scared and that they're getting triggered. So I think it's so important to really look at those children because a lot of times those children aren't seen as being anxious. But then, of course, we have the kids who, you know, whose minds are always going. They're afraid to do new things. Transitions are really difficult. You know, when we look at anxiety, we look at kids that are, right, in that fight where they're just attacked, attacking and reactive, or they're absolutely shutting down and can't problem solve, or, you know, you know, running away. So when we're in that fight, flight, or freeze, it's all these different moments that kids are reacting to their anxiety. You know, in EMDR, we call it a window of tolerance that you may ask them something, but their window is just always shut. There's not that gray area and really recognizing like how, how do we get in there to be able to open that window so they're not always triggered in that state. And, you know, an important one also is to recognize if kids with attachment issues and kids with trauma are constantly living in this dysregulated state and that they cannot all they can't say what the anxiety is because it's so much within their body of some of the trauma that they're holding on to right so really an anxious child can look lots of different ways it's not one cookie cutter way that an anxious child is and um you know i think parents they're very helpful i mean and they want to to do things that they can do to help the child too. And they're appreciative when they have a therapist. I know my parents when I work with children are very appreciative, but they want to know what they can do. And I think it's important that parents can be a part of the helping of the child too. And books like yours, Casey's Greatness Wings, is a fantastic story that parents can read out loud to their child and can be very helpful. But what suggestions can you give parents today that are listening, things that they can do right now to help their anxious child? 
Sure. And just regarding Casey's Greatness Wings, I mean, it's Casey's Greatness Wings teaching mindfulness, you know, connection and courage to children. So when we're looking at teaching kids mindfulness is so powerful in terms of when we are in the moment, you know, we don't, we don't have the past, we're not in the past, we're not in the future, and being present in the moment. I tell kids all the time that the secret to their anxiety is that when they are at play and they are playing that they're, they're not worried, they're not nervous, and the importance of parents connecting to children in a playful way is so important. So we do things like blowing bubbles back and forth with the child and different playful exercises, um, activities to connect with their child, even like scribbling and drawing together. I mean, if kids want to be with their, their parents and being able to do some of those activities can be um, so helpful. Parents often really, they, they want to do the best, and naturally a parent's inclination, if a child is afraid of the bus, is, well, then you don't have to get on the bus. I'll drive you to school. And they do many things to protect their child, thinking they're loving parents, and they don't want to see their child in distress. But what happens is it feeds into their anxiety, and their anxiety gets worse. So it's really important to try to set the child up for success, to give them tools to be brave, and to start with baby steps uh, in terms of giving them these small accomplishments for success. Now it's September, school is just starting, and I have a handful of all these little kids who are starting first grade and are having such significant separation anxiety um, and are just struggling and the parents are struggling because it's so hard for parents to be able to leave their child when they are crying and falling apart. So it's so one of the things in the nurtured heart approach is not giving $100 bills for the anxiety. So when your child's falling apart, you want to give them everything and you want to be there. But how do we not energize them falling apart, but be there in a very calm way by not having anxiety on our own and being able to not join the chaos? So parents really need to reset and be the strong one and be that safe foundation for the child rather than feeding into the anxiety. So it's important to be able to, to label the anxiety. And then to talk about, okay, what are we going to do with it? So um, they can cognitive, for example, just um, what I, what, what all these kids that I'm working with right now who are having separation anxiety. So the fear may be, you know, mommy and daddy are, um, the fear is mom and dad are going to leave and not come back. So the opposite is that they're, they're, they, they are going to come back and what, or I'm not safe, you know, is what they're feeling at, at school. So the opposite is I am safe. Well, tell me three reasons you're safe. Well, I'm safe because I have really nice teachers. I'm safe because the school protects me. I'm safe because mommy and daddy love me and know the best. So it's like bossing back this worry brain because their worry brain isn't real. And for children, even as very young, even at three or four, can really understand this concept that 
It's The Worry Brain, which The Worry Brain was introduced to me by Tamar Chansky, a book I highly recommend, Freeing Your Child from Anxiety. She's wonderful. But when kids are able to do these activities and be able to externalize the worry, they be, they feel so good about it. And they're my favorite cases and clients to have, kids with anxiety, because once they have the tools and parents have the tools, they have such success and they feel so good about themselves when they're being able to do all these, have all these brave moments and feel so good about it. So, you know, I think anxiety when given the tools and when parents are not feeding into it and can learn about their child's anxiety, it's it's it can be a pretty easy symptom to treat. They may always have, you know, their anxious wiring, but being able to have those tools, they really can overcome so many of these anxious moments. And you know, we're talking a lot about younger children, but I think these things are are all ages and I work yes. a lot I work a lot with teenagers and sort of that same concept of saying their worries out loud and what they're anxious about and hearing hearing what it is and, and I have them look at it. Well was that true? And or and they'll say, Well that's a lie. Who told you that lie? What lie is that in my head? That's mm-hmm. just that's just bull. And you know, talking about it differently, but that same concept. And you talked a lot about things that parents can do and also you talked about a lot of things parents should not do. And I think that's important too, because we're always looking, like you said, parents want to, they want to make it better. They want to do what anything they can do to, to fix it and make it better. But there are specific things parents shouldn't do. Um, as you said, and, um, I think that's important too. Yeah. And I think the one other thing that's really important is that when kids are in a fear state, their brain is really stuck, you know, like their prefrontal cortex or thinking brain is not online, like their ability to problem solve, their ability to work through it and to help them to just, you know, to reset, to take a deep breath and, and to, to be able to identify, okay, what's up, what's going on and to, to really be patient within the moment because a child's not going to, you can't just jump in and snap them out of it. Um, it's, it's really being able to, to get, to get their anxiety calm, to be able to do the problem solving because their brain is just stuck. It's almost like a temper tantrum, right? Once they've reached that point of no, no return, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, just stop it in the middle. So, right. so it's really so important to just create that safe place, no matter what age the child is a teen or even for an adult or partner that we need to create that space that they're able to feel safe and they feel safe with you. And that's in order to be able to take that next step, because when it's like, you know, you got to get the shoes on. You got, you know, once once there's anxiety of a child who's not going to leave the house, and the parent has the anxiety, it just it feeds it, and then it just, you know, we know it just turns into this vicious cycle. And so there has to be that 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 opportunity to be able to be within the moment with the child and recognize, okay, my child is stuck right now. Their 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 thinking brain is not online, and being able to to just be present with them. Uh, and, you know, Howard Glasser of the Nurtured Heart Approach says kids read energy like it's Braille. And just that energy to, to be able to not be frustrated by it and to, to not feed the chaos and be just present with them without feeding all their anxiety in a very safe, loving, nurturing way. 
Tammy, this has been so helpful. And again, I I really, really like this Casey's Greatness Wings book. And I can't wait till my daughter comes home from college because she's at college. And I'm going to have her read it to me and do these interactive things on my back because I think it would be so cool. And I'm, I'm just really excited yeah. about it. Yeah, I mean, I do it with um, well, my my daughter's almost nineteen, and she when we were working on it, she did it with all of her friends. All of her friends, they love it. They 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 all get together and they do the story massage. I have done this with couples. I have done this in a circle with family, and I've also introduced it. I was in India this summer, and I introduced the kinesthetic storytelling in India when we were teaching um, reading, when we were teaching. Um, and and just kindness to the kids we did all the alphabets and numbers on the child's back and it was pretty amazing to be able to do that in the migrant camps with the children so the kinesthetic storytelling is so powerful yes i totally agree and i have followed you on facebook and i'm just so pleased to get the chance to talk to you today you have so much going on and it's such a great resource for other therapists for parents can you tell us um how to get this book for one thing and other things that you have going on real quick before we end today sure well you can either purchase the book on my website which is um, mainlineplaytherapy.com uh, but I am also on Amazon, and maybe you could link these underneath, uh, Amazon and childtherapytoys.com, um, self-esteem shop, and play therapy supplies. It's all, I believe, selling the book. And I am going to be coming out with a whole series of um, webinars, and you could find out about them on my um Facebook page, which is Tammy's Play Therapy and Santre Therapy page. And I work um, also with PESI. So I'm going to be in November in New England, and then I am going to be presenting at the Expressive Therapy Summit in New York City. Then I'll be, um, yeah, so, so you guys can follow my schedule. I'm going to be all over the place. I have a lot of different presentations coming up, and um, we're really excited to be launching um, one of the first play therapy certificate programs through PESI, uh, Play Therapy Across Development. So in February, I am going to be doing play therapy for young children, um, including infants, and then there'll be one. Um, another person's going to be doing one for adolescents and tweens, and then another one for adults and the elderly. At the elderly, so that's going to be one branch of the certificate, and then we're going to do another one as well. So, a lot, a lot coming up, a lot of exciting stuff, and um, you can stay tuned um, by liking my Facebook page. I have, you know, a Instagram, and I have a YouTube, and right now I am working on launching just a newsletter uh, for being able to share all my favorite interventions and um, different giveaways. So that's in the works right now that you'll be hearing about on my Facebook page of opting into my newsletter with some free news and just keeping in touch of all the different stuff that I have going on. Sounds like lots going on. Again, I appreciate so much you giving us this time today. I know the parents appreciate it with all these very specific examples of things that they can do for their anxious child. Thank you so much for being with us today, Tammy. You're welcome, Patty. Thank you so much. Takeaways from today's show. One, anxiety is normal. Everyone experiences anxiety from time to time. It's normal to feel anxious before taking a test or when you're trying something new. Two, anxiety is not dangerous. 
Although the symptoms of anxiety, feeling the sweaty palms and the churning stomach, feels terrible, it is temporary and it does eventually stop. Three, anxiety is part of life. The goal is not to eliminate anxiety from our child's life. The goal is to give our anxious child or teen the confidence and skills to manage their anxiety. You see, anxiety doesn't hurt us. Avoiding things because of anxiety is what hurts us. Parents, thanks for being with me today and have a wonderful week. And remember to subscribe to Parenting with Patricia and join us again for some great parenting discussions. Until next time, remember, parents are important. You are important.